<laughs> Sorry. How are you doing? Good. I've been thinking all week about how to do this. Um, thank you for praying for me, those of you who know what the week has been like. about your day and then you end up in the hospital for four days. So I have tubes sticking out of me and into me and nothing too intrusive, thankfully. Um, I, I just asked God to give me everything I needed. It, uh, the first thing I'm going to ask you to do is write down a couple from Logansport, Indiana, Curtis and Lisa. There, there are people in this church who pray a lot. And there are those of us who don't pray very much. Um, there's a, this couple, Curtis and Lisa. Lisa was a nurse at St. Vincent's, and we talked for a very long time. And they need God in the worst way. And um, if you would please just pray for them. Um, I, I begged God late into the night, please, God, give me a chance to go up and talk with this guy, Curtis. I told his wife, just an hour a week for eight weeks. I don't know where that came from, but that is my prayer. Um, and the fact is, folks, there are millions and billions of people that are Curtis and Lisa that need the Lord. So um, that that's really where we are today. We are looking at, we've been in the book of Jonah. We are in chapter 3. If you want to turn there, we're going to start at the second half of verse 3 and go through verse 10. You know, we, we title messages and we, we try to put things in order, and I've never been very good at that. Um, the, the whole idea of this passage of Scripture is, is believe God. Believe God. And that sounds so simple, and it has been a massive conviction of mine that, that we're not there at, at all. And, and I'm not talking about every single person. I'm just talking about us as the American church and, and to some extent this church. And I love everybody here. This is my church. And I'm not bothering anybody. I'm not getting on anybody's case. But do you believe God? Do you really believe God? There's somebody sitting in the back row that any knows here who's gone to a foreign nation because he believes God and took his, his wife and, and, and believes God. And I don't know if we're there. And that has been on my heart. So please, as, as we go through this text today, please ask yourself, do I believe God? I'm going to pray first, and then I'm going to read the text. Let's just pray together that God will help us to believe him. All right? Father, thank you so much for everything, for being our God, for dying on a cross for us, for, for killing your son, your only son, for us, while we were yet enemies of yours. You have done so much for us. You continue to do so much, and you have told us you will continue forever to do things for us. Help us, God, to know that to the depths of our souls and to live accordingly. Help us to believe you when you say it is a certain way that we believe you, that we take you seriously. That is my prayer, and you know it. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 3 of the book of Jonah, starting in the second half of verse 3. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 
and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. As we start here, here's Jonah. He's walking into Nineveh. Nineveh was part of Assyria, the nation of Assyria. It was not the capital city, but it was probably the largest city. We might say it was like New York. It was not a nice place, and this was not a nice empire, not a nice country. They were horrifically evil. I, I said this before a couple of years ago, I think, up here when ISIS was still in, you know, doing their terrible things. ISIS took a, a, they took a serious playbook, and everything they did was what Assyria did, only Assyria was worse. Horrifically sadistic, cruel things. And so we conjecture as to why specifically Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. But perhaps, and I think it's reasonable to say, one of the reasons might be, I don't want to get killed. I'm going to walk into this pagan city here that's known for nothing but cruelty and treachery and say, hey, I'm a prophet from Israel. Oh, well, come on in. Let's see what you got to say. I don't think that was on his mind. I think he's afraid that they're going to skin him alive, stab him in a pole, put him out in the sun to die up there because that's what they did, and that wasn't the worst thing they did. So here's Jonah walking into Nineveh, wondering all these things. The verse says that Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. And the archaeological record has revealed that it was very large. But what's interesting, if you look at your text and if you're taking notes, this is maybe something you want to know. What's interesting is that well, our, our English translation, a literal uh, translation of that Hebrew phrase, exceedingly great city, literally means a large, get this, a large and or important city to God. I found that very interesting. One commentator said if this translation, which is also a literal, literal translation, if you adopt it, the grammatical construction would seem to emphasize that this city, albeit a pagan one, belongs to the one true God of the universe. This city is God's. It is God's city. I found that very interesting. And it's important to note as, as we think about Jonah walking up those steps of this city. Jonah, this is mine. This city is mine, is what he's thinking. Okay, God, I'm going to walk through these gates here into your city. And so he walks through the gate. And I don't know if he took a deep breath or not, but he said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And 
case you're wondering about that word overthrown, again, what exactly does that mean? Here's another passage where the same word was used. If you want to take your Bible and turn to Genesis, we're going to spend some time in Genesis. Turn to Genesis chapter 19 and just look at this for a moment. Go to Genesis chapter 19 and go to verse 24. Genesis 19, we're going to read verses 24 through 28. We're talking about this word that's used in the Hebrew for overthrowing. What does God mean when he talks about overthrowing Nineveh? Verse 24 says, Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Verse 27, And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. That gives you an idea of what God had in store for Nineveh. Forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. As far as we know, folks, that was the extent of his message. Forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. He may or he may not have shared more information than that. Uh, personally, I think he did. And I, I'll explain that later if we have time. Um, I think that he probably talked more about something, either who God was, the, the true God, or what God had intended for the city. You know, obviously we don't know for certain, but I, I just studied a lot, think that, Nona, that Jonah explained a lot more than just these words. But here's the important thing. Yet 40 days, and then shall be overthrown. In the end, what I just said about what Jonah may or may not have said doesn't really matter. you got to get this this morning. God saved Nineveh. God saved the men, women, and children, and, and literally every living thing in the city of Nineveh by his word. And nothing else. His word. The thing that stirred the hearts and convicted the people of their sin was God's word. Forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And that's what convicted their hearts. That's the word of God and that's all it took. I, I got up here and I said, do we believe God? You got to think through that. Do you believe that that's all it took? That's all it would take? Most of you know this. I want to ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. The word of God, God's word, same that he said in Nineveh, is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and of spirit. That's what God's word does. Of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. God's word shows it to you. God knows. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. 
It's not just that he sees it. It's not just that he shows you. He shows you so that you know, I have to give an account to God of my life. That's what God's word does. Now and in Nineveh. We see that God is immutable. God never changes. And neither does his word. This short message that God gave to Nineveh is God's word. The Old Testament, the New Testament, is God's word. It never changes. It is his word, him speaking to us. Yeah, John, you're beating a horse. I get it. Do you get it? Do you really know in your heart that this is God speaking to us, speaking to you? That God's word is speaking to you today. Let's move on. Alright, Jonah's in the city. He's preaching this message that he was commanded to do it. And what do you know? They haven't killed him. It's a good day so far for Jonah. I, I think, I, I thought through this, I, I would think that he probably heard as much fiction as he did fact about Nineveh. About the people there. But what does he experience the first day he's there? As he's walking through and he sees the slums. And he sees the decadence and the sin and the terrible things that we see in our society. What is on his heart? I mean, just consider that. When Jonah's walking through Nineveh and he sees and he smells, right, and he hears, what what does his heart say? And does he see with his heart? Does Jonah have a heart? There's reason to speculate. Does he see these people in Nineveh as God sees them? Or does he see them with hatred? I don't know the answer. But, I say, does he see them as God does? How does God see them? It's his city. But this is a pagan people. Evil, cruel people. Second Peter says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. But he is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all, all should reach repentance. That's the heart of God. That's why Jonah's in Nineveh. So here's the amazing thing. Jonah's walking through Nineveh and he's throwing out this, you know, what we would call it, hell, fire, and brimstone speech. And in verse 5, you have the key to this chapter. And it is everything. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And boy, did they ever. And, and we've got to stop here for a minute and, and talk about that word believed. And I'm going to try to explain this here. With them, if you're, if you're new to Christianity, this is what was on my heart. If you're new to Christianity, you're, you just don't understand, you've been afraid to ask, or, or whatever... When we talk about belief within the realm of Christianity, it's usually equated with the word faith. Belief and faith. You'll see them interchanged. The biblical definition of faith is, and you can write this down if you want, and I simplified this, but biblical faith is trusting in something you can't explicitly prove. Biblical faith is trusting in something, and you're going to say, or someone, that's fine. Trusting in something you can't explicitly prove. 
Okay, you, you can't just lay it all out, you know, like the quadratic formula or whatever. Um, biblical faith has two aspects to it. So again, if you, if you're gonna, if you want to see this, just write it down. We, we have two aspects here. One is called intellectual assent. Have you ever heard that phrase? That's one of those phrases that outside of Christendom, no one ever says it. But intellectual assent is one aspect of, of biblical faith, and the other is trust. And this is very, very important that you get that. Okay? Intellectual assent is a fancy way of saying that you believe something is true, a fact. All right? Um, it's cloudy outside. Do you believe it? Well, you might as well because it's cloudy outside. All right? You believe things that are true, and, and that's where it stops. Okay, you believe it. Yes, I believe that. In the world of Christianity, it means, we, we often go and say, Jesus Christ died on a cross and rose from the dead. As intellectual sense says, I believe that. Sure, that's history. I don't have a problem with that. But that's not biblical faith. The other half, as I said, is trust. So what is trust? Trust, so believing something as fact is intellectual assent. But relying on the fact that something is true, so believing something is fact is intellectual assent. Relying on something that has to be fact is trust. In other words, I, I believe, okay, let's use this analogy. Airline travel is inherently safe. Safest thing you can do. And you can believe that. Trust, relying on the fact that that is true, makes you buy a ticket. Right? You can say all day long, that's the safest thing you could possibly do. You want to get on? Nope. Well, you don't, you're not believing. You're not trusting. That is not faith that nothing bad is going to happen to you. Okay, so that is biblical faith. Again, if you're new to this or whatever, and if that doesn't explain it, please come and see me afterwards. Please understand what biblical faith is. What does it mean when we say the Ninevites believed? But as we move on in the text, it kind of explains itself. So the people of Nineveh believed. And then it says, they called for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And we'll get more into what that all means here in a minute. Verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. You're not going to eat. This is a fast. Let them not feed or drink water. And then he groups everybody in. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. I, I actually started to put an outline together. I'm just not good at outlines. But I, I said, let, number one was the people called for a fast. Number two, the king called for a fast. And number three, the herds prayed that it went in fast. Because what did I do? Right? But everyone's grouped into this. And here's another thing about, again, folks, do you believe God? And, and here's where I'm going with this. And God has burned this into my mind. Think about if Jonah came to the United States and said what he said. Forty days and America would be overthrown. And don't say Donald Trump just for this because he's so volatile. Just say the president of the United States calls for a fast. 
said, and he said what the king of Nineveh said. So I'm trying to read, remove all politics from it. But I, I kept thinking this. It, it would be on a big placard or on TV or on the internet, and there would be fine print that long at the bottom. If under the age of two or the, over the age of 80, does not apply. If taking certain medications does not apply. If this may result in significant financial hardship to your company, you do not, it does not apply. It would be loophole, 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 wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be fine print forever? How do I get out of this? Because this, this can't be me. There's no way. This, I'm starving. There's no way. I mean, that is us. That is the culture that we live in. The fact that this, this city submitted to this is only for one reason. Because they believed God. We are going to die. That's what they were thinking. We are done. We are going to die. So you will not eat or drink. You will fast. Everybody. Oh, but that seems so extreme. You're going to die. Do you believe God? They did. <laughs> did they ever? Ask yourself, do you think we would? I I've asked myself a million times. Do I believe God? I, I, I just don't know. I'm, I'm going to get off track here for just a second. Back, back in the 80s, I think, um, there still is, there's a Christian band called the Newsboys. Anybody heard of Newsboys? Okay, you're dating yourself, but that's okay. The Newsboys had a, an album, I don't even remember what it was, but it um, had this song, what a great song, but it was called Miracle Child. And the, the lyrics are such where the, the singer is um, singing to God about a friend of his who was unsaved and who God saved. And he sings to God and he says, and just see if this is you, he says, when you got there, I, I thought, sure, you got there too late. And then he's, he's talking about the fact that he had prayed for this girl. And he said, we all pay you lip service and address our prayers to fate. Man, did that hit me. How often have you come in here and we go through pastoral prayer and you pray and in your heart of hearts, folks, you go, they're, they're done, they're gone. That'll never happen. That will never happen. I, I can't tell you how many times I've done that. Many years ago, when I was first a deacon here. We got a phone call about a guy. He was like the son of a person twice removed or whatever, but he was um, a family member, a relative was a member of this church. And this guy was at a party. There was drugs and alcohol. He's walking down the stairs and he fell and he hit his head. Well, that probably happens every weekend of every year forever. But he hit his head just right and he had a massive brain injury. He, he's he's going to die. Can you guys come up and pray for him? And, and we all got in a church van and we went up to Methodist Hospital to the intensive care and he's on this bed that's constantly moving and turning and um, we prayed for him, we anointed him with oil, we did everything the Bible said and I walked out of there confident knowing that he was going to be healed because I had all the faith in the world that he was going to be healed. And I came in here Sunday morning and they said he had passed away and I was shocked, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. God, we prayed and asked you and I did believe and I accepted that. I accepted that he didn't live through that. But 
How many times are we on the complete opposite end of the spectrum where you walk into a situation and you're like, yeah, this will never work. This isn't going to happen. Are you there? Do you believe God? The Ninevites, these pagan people, believed God. The thing is, as, as, as much as you believe God, that's how little tiny your prayers are going to be or how incredible your prayers are going to be. Have you forgotten who God is? I mean, really and truly. When you pray, when you pour out your heart to God, do you believe Him? Do you believe His Word? Do you believe He will do the things you ask in His name? And it's, a lot of you are sitting going, that is so complicated. You went up there and you thought He'd heal that guy and He didn't. I did. I will trust my God if the prayers line up with Scripture forever. Ultimately, we bow to His will. Does His will usually go a certain way? It does. Let's be honest. But, does that stop you from praying? Do you believe God? Does your life show, like the Ninevites, that you believe God? That is the heart of this whole passage that I've said. I don't know where you are, obviously, but if you know in your heart that I don't believe God, you're in a bad place. In a very bad place. We should pray when we're done here with our meeting or whatever it takes. Because what are you trusting in for your salvation? A God that you don't really believe in? If that's you today, don't walk out of here. Don't walk out those doors until you know. Nothing is worth it. I'm living proof that you don't know what's going to happen to you in the next minute. No one does. Every breath you draw today is a gift from God. And He could stop it now. And there's no second chance at that point. Believe God. Moving on. We're at the end of, chapter, of verse 8. I want you to pay very close attention to this. We picture in our head Nineveh. We, we talk about Sodom and Gomorrah. We talk about the destruction that will befall the city and how evil the city is. And, and by and large, we've, we keep talking about the city, the city, the city. But look what God says to the Ninevites. All right? Now, this is from the king, but where did the king get it? That's my, this is going to be my point. Look what it says. If you think we're talking about a city, it says this. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. The word violence doesn't need to be beating somebody up. The word violence can be used for any kind of malintent towards another person. God deals with men, women, and children, with human beings. Does he define cities? Absolutely. Absolutely. But God has always dealt with the person. And so whatever God gave to the king, his words were right on the money. Again, it comes down to you and me. What do you have? You, today, you turn from your evil way that God's word sees. You turn from that, and you turn from the violence that is in your hands. Are you bitter today? Are you angry? 
Are you planning vengeance? Do you wish you could get vengeance? Do you wish I could do this? I wish I could do that. Turn from that. You today repent. I'll tell you something else. If you have never given your heart to Jesus Christ, if you have never done that, the Bible says if today you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. God's voice comes to us through his word, and you have heard his word today. Do not turn away. If at some point in your life you said, I have given my life to Jesus Christ, but you know in your heart that little by little or in big chunks, you have taken it back, give it back to God. It belongs to Him. What do you have that you're storing away? God, this is mine. Not theirs. We can't do that, folks. We cannot do that. I do it. I think we all do. We are fleshly, sinful creatures, but give it back to God. Verse 10. Let's go back to verse 9, sorry. Sorry. Who knows? God may turn... God may relent and turn from his fierce anger, anger so that we may not perish. That's who God is. That's, that's who our Father is. There's so much of Jonah that's, that's in the prodigal son. You know? I mean, Jonah ran and he did all these things to get away. And I was talking to somebody recently about this. If you think about the prodigal son, he ran away. But you go back and you study that parable, okay? Get it out tonight or something and study that parable. And look for anywhere where when it says he came to his senses, look for anything in that parable where he thinks to himself, I don't know if he'll take me back or not. You know what? It's not there. He knew his father so well that he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that his father would take him back. Well, I know he'll take me back. There's no doubt about that. I know his character. I know he'll take me back. But man, as much as he knew his father, the other side of the coin, he didn't know him at all. Because he thought, he'll take me back. He'll put me in the barn, but he'll take me back. But running through town, hugging him, kissing him, loving him, loving him. Never saw that one coming. That's who our Father is. You all know he'll take you back. But do you know how much he loves you? So why do you hang on to stuff? Why do we hang on to all this bitterness and the things that are in our lives? Give it back to God. You know, this is not home, folks. I'm... I'm I'll just be very honest, very brief. I, I got some bad news about some things that, I, that are going to, about my life. I'm not going to die young or anything like that, but some very bad news that I didn't want to hear. And, and I laid in bed in this hospital, and I cried. And I said, God, I don't want that. And then I thought, this isn't home. <laughs> this is a short time I'm talking about. 
some very difficult things for a very short time. If you look at your life here as home and forever, you're going to get way off track. This is not home. Paul the Apostle said, I consider all this horrible things that are going on in my life to be a light, momentary affliction when compared with heaven. Okay? Alright, let's reel it back in, get back on track, alright? God may turn and relent from his turn from his fierce anger because that's who he is. And he says, so that we may not perish. Verse 10, sure enough, who would have thunk it? When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it, because the people of Nineveh believed God. That's why. That's why he didn't destroy Nineveh. There is such a thing, I talked about faith earlier, and again, if you're new to Christianity, if you're trying to figure it all out, we talked about uh, mental or uh, intellectual assent and trust, and that that's faith. Okay, that trust aspect plays out. The Ninevites showed it by this fast. We show it by what we do. Okay, um, I, I was reading a, a biography this week, and, and this guy talks about when he was saved. His name was Hudson Taylor. He was a missionary to China. And he talked about how when he got saved, he would just spend hours with God. Your works won't save you. The things you do do not save you. Okay? The Ninevites' fast that they declared was a result of their faith. Hudson Taylor talked about, I, I, was, I tried to find something to do for God, he said, as an outlet for my love. And I thought about it, it's like, I don't buy gifts, flowers, whatever for my wife, so that she will love me, I buy them because I love her. Okay, so your life should show that you love God and you want to serve God. Does it do that? Because if it's not, that's not saving faith. Again, if you're walking around with your little hang-ups and everything you've got in your pocket that you're not going to let go of, that's not living saving faith. Capiche? All right, good. All right, let's move on. We're doing pretty good. It's shocking, isn't it? I started to send you guys a picture. I, I'll tell you, I started to send you guys a picture. I was going to go into this machine, um, a, seat, a cat scan machine. It's amazing. It's purple, right? And you're like, oh my goodness, what are you going to do to me? You know, and I, I put a little caption at the bottom and I, and I sent it to, I think I sent it to the elders and it said, they're telling me that this will keep me from preaching past noon. So, but I, we'll see if it worked or not. <laughs> so anyway, sorry, a little levity. <laughs> okay. God saved Nineveh by his mercy. All right, and I, I've said before, God is not God's will that any should perish. So God wanted Nineveh to be saved all along, no doubt about it. But they did repent, and we need to do that. We need to repent, okay? I, I, another thing that's been on my, my heart for so long is we last year came and said, okay, you know, we send missionaries to the end of the world. And we said, well, what about the end of the street? And let's just be very honest. Not much has changed within these walls. We don't, we're not bringing people in who are lost. I don't know if you're witnessing to people or not, but the thought kind of hit me, okay, at the end of the street, what about at the end of the hallway? 
What about the end of your arm? Can you put your hand on somebody's shoulder and say, Do you know Jesus Christ? Have you been saved? Persecution is part of the deal, folks. You might get rejected. But that's what we're called to do, is to share the gospel. Please do that. And if you're not doing it, you need to repent of that. We need to repent of that. God cared for Nineveh. Do we care for the lost? Have you hardened your heart to the lost? Really and truly. And, and if you sit here and you hear my words and you think, no, I haven't, then I have every right to say, then who have you spoken with? I don't think that's unfair. Have you spoken with anybody? Have you prayed for the lost? Ah, there's Tierney's loophole. No, but I'll pray for him. I haven't talked to anybody, but I'll pray for him. Find someone to talk to about Jesus Christ. That is our mandate. Jonah, go in there and tell them, yet 40 days and then it will be destroyed. Gray Road, get out and say, do you know Jesus Christ and give them the gospel. That is our mandate. Um, the, the, the elders went and prayed with a guy, a lot of people don't even know now, named Glenn Lockwood, who used to pastor this church. And he's very elderly now. He's got some serious health issues. And, and he said to us, I, I'm so sad because he said, I, he was in tears. And he said, I don't have any more opportunities to serve the Lord. And he said, well, maybe some small things. You know, and I, everybody just kind of smiled. Well, what's a small thing? And maybe that's your life. A small thing is not a small thing to God. Share the gospel, all right? Believe God. Believe God and share the gospel. That, that's my message to you this morning. We, we have been brought, we've been bought with a prize, folks. God killed his son for us, and he bought us. Live for God. Believe God. Believe God. And your life will show if you really believe God. I want to read something to you. And if I get blubbery, I apologize. But this, this, whole, this whole thing, this whole thing in the book of Jonah, I've been praying like crazy that God would do a work in our church through this little book. And I continue to pray that. I continue to pray. I'm praying now, God, please do something for your glory through this little book. I, I was, I've read and read and read and read, and I found something that Charles Spurgeon, who was a preacher a long time ago, he said this, and listen to this, okay? This is not, this is not scripture, I get you, but he said, the vast universe is nothing but a platform for the display of God's grace, and all material things that now exist will be set aside when the great drama of grace is completed. The material universe, look at this platform up here, and just if you get in your mind's eye, okay? If this is the world, this platform and everything around here, if this is the world, it'll all be set aside when this drama that, you know, if we had a play up here, plays out. The material universe is nothing but scaffolding for the Church of Christ. It's but, tempor it's but the temporary structure upon which the wonderful mystery of redeeming love is being carried out to perfection. Did you get that? Think of the world as what I just described, as, as a stage, in other words. And he says, it's all just stuff. He says, the material universe is scaffolding. 
for the church of Christ. It's nothing but the temporary structure upon which the wonderful mystery of redeeming, redeeming love is being carried out to perfection. You know, little paper clouds and stuff that hang down. I mean, picture whatever you want. But that's what life is. We're all this, you know, part of this play, if you will, the story is God's redeeming love, that he redeemed mankind by the death of his son. If you think of life that way, that should clear things up a little bit, I think. Here's what I want to read to you, and then we'll be finished. Luke chapter 14, 26 says this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I, I read a book where an American pastor who was at one time he was called the youngest um, pastor, megachurch pastor in America, and how God just flipped his life upside down. Like, is that really what I'm after? And he changed his whole life. But he, he talked about this verse. But you may have heard this before. This is a, a newsletter from someone that we know who is a member of this church and is overseas. That's all I can say. The verse I just read you, this is what this person wrote. This teaching, oh man, I'll never make it. I'll do my best. This teaching of Jesus is truly difficult to read and embrace. It seems so harsh. Who could hate his own father, mother, wife, children, and siblings, even his own life? However, people who literally lose it all if they proclaim Christ actually understand this scripture well. They have brought dishonor to the family by coming against their own beliefs. For people in this country to be of a certain faith is as much a part of their family identity as having brown hair and brown eyes. To deny their faith is to deny who they are. It's to show hate to their families. Show hate to their families. And even to themselves. For this reason, conversations are repeated multiple times. And lots of seeds are sown and watered in prayer to see even one person become a disciple. Christ is literally asking them to choose him above all those they love so dearly. This is written by a missionary. As a worker who is here to sow and water the word in the hearts of the people, we are also expected to be this kind of disciple. The hardest part of living here is not the different culture or language, but it is what it does to our family. It's not being there when we really want to be. It's in the tears in her mom's eyes when she FaceTimes. It's in the one-line text from our teenagers that simply say, I really miss you. So tears are our son when he misses his siblings and his grandparents. It's in my own tears I pour it on my face as I even write this. It's in every conversation we have among ourselves when we question if we're doing the right thing by being here.
because we feel the pain of separation, we can catch a glimpse of the true cost of being a disciple. We feel like we're hating our families by leaving them or by forcing separations between siblings. But we don't live for this world. We live for the kingdom. See, people say things in one sentence that takes me 40 minutes to say. We live for the kingdom. We want to be faithful disciples, making disciples among the unreached who will also forsake it all. She writes, Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. This song echoed off the tile floors and cinder walls of our apartment as we gathered with our partner family who also strives to be faithful in the call of discipleship. In the loneliness and the heartache, the words meant so much more. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. Do you believe God today? And is Jesus your life? And what are you hanging on to that is ridiculously sinful? Let it go. There's another word for that. It says it is repent. Repent today. Are you bitter? Let it go. Are you angry? Let it go. Do you dream about vengeance? Let it go. What will it profit you? Believe God, great Lord. Believe God. My brothers and sisters, believe God. Let's pray. You pray too. Father, you put us in this culture and you've given us so much and you've been so good to us. says because you did not serve the Lord with joyfulness and gladness of heart because of the abundance of all things therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you because we I, I don't God I don't want this to be us I don't want to say because we did not serve you with joyfulness and gladness of heart and I don't want the reason to be because you blessed us so much that we forgot you <coughs> God, use this congregation, starting with me, to spread your word to a, a lost world that looks on the hill and doesn't see a light. Help us, God, to believe you. And God, may our lives show that we do. I pray for everyone here and those who couldn't make it that we would be the light on the hill, that we would be the salt of the earth, that we would be ambassadors for God, and that we would set aside the things in our life that so easily entangle us. God, save us from ourselves. We love you, God. We can never, ever thank you for everything you've done for us. We can never ever thank you for your son enough. But we can give you our lives. That's all we have to give. 